28. Psalm 28 of David. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked and the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song, I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My name is Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship Central. It's my joy to get to bring God's word to you. We are in a series in the book of Psalms. We'll have our last uh, Psalm sermon next week. This is also the last week of the month when we open up our church, open me up, I guess, to questions and answers. I'll try to answer your questions, explain more about that. You can uh, email them in. It can be about the sermon, about the church, about Christianity, about anything, and I may be able to answer them, I may not. Um, But we exist here to glorify God, and we do that through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. And let me give you this great comfort as you look at a very imperfect pastor and preacher who's very average. This text is God's word, And before the foundation of the world, God intended for you to hear this text this morning from this preacher. And that's a great comfort to me. So let me pray. Lord, we're grateful that this morning you have given us these words to be reminded of you, to be reminded once again that Jesus Christ has come in the world to save sinners. And Lord, that you hear your people when we call. So we pray, Lord, that you would save your people and bless your heritage this morning, that you would be our shepherd and you would carry us this morning and forever. I pray that I would be helpful and forgettable and that you would make yourself known by the power of your spirit, that there would be an encounter with the living God In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't experienced this in your life yet, sooner or later you will be. You'll be in a room with people, and the people that used to be the center of attention, 
the people who had the great stories that everybody seemed uh, to focus upon uh, suddenly seemed to shrink to your grandparents or your aunts or uncles or maybe your parents. And the reason that happens is because they can't hear. Start to talk to them and, you, and they start to turn their heads like this and cup their hands to their ears. But then they quit participating in conversations. They're kind of relegated, it seems like, to the corners because they can't engage in the conversation. They forget their hearing aids or refuse to wear them. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you have hearing aids, you need to wear them. And the reality is, is I'm headed there. Two bouts of chemotherapy have made my hearing far worse than the average person my age. So I know what's coming. And here's the problem. When people can't hear, they can't help. So when I think about being a husband or a father or a worker or a pastor, I know that if I lose my hearing, my ability to help will be hindered. No one hears you when you need them. No one can help. We often live like the Lord, the God of the Bible, can't hear. We gossip because we don't think God hears us. When we're in the privacy of our, our own homes, we use sarcasm against our loved ones. We shout at them because, hey, nobody else is going to know, but the Lord hears. We shrink God. We move him to the corner of our lives, but then we need help. Then we need help, and we sure hope that God hears. And that's the good news of Psalm 28. David is facing enemies, he's facing trials, he needs help, he needs the Lord to hear him. Psalm 28 says that the Lord does. He hopes and prays that the Lord will hear him, and he does. So that's what we're focusing on here in Psalm 28. If there's anything, one thing you want to walk away from is this. We're going to worship, worship the Lord who hears. Worship the Lord who hears. We have a God, Yahweh, the living God, who hears us, and he deserves to be worshipped. A God who doesn't hear is worse than no God at all. In the Bible, idols are regularly criticized because they have ears, but they don't hear. So not only do you get no help, you've now wasted your time asking for help from somebody who won't even hear you. But Psalm 28 shows us ways to worship the Lord who hears. We'll do it by three simple ways, three simple things, and they overlap. We worship the Lord who hears by praying, by praying to him. Then we worship the Lord who hears by praising him. So praying and then praising. And then lastly, we worship the Lord who hears by joining his people, join with his people. So praying, praising, and joining his people. So first, we worship the Lord who hears by praying to him. So this whole psalm, if you haven't noticed, is a prayer. It's David talking to God. If someone hears, it's appropriate, though, to honor them as being able to hear. So here's something that should encourage you. Merely praying is a form of worship. Just praying. It's acknowledging that God is different than all fake gods. So we pray. And the Holy Spirit models for us how to pray. He shows us here first that we should pray for mercy. You pray for mercy. 
Pray for mercy. Read verses 1 and 2 with me. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. So David feels like he's going down into the pit. That word for pit there kind of carries the meaning of like deepest, darkest dungeon. And if you're down there and the Lord can't hear you and nobody can hear you, then you're as good as dead. We don't really have any other source of help when we're down in a dungeon like that, when we're down in the pit. No, no humans can get us out. So we pray to the God who hears. So maybe you feel like you're in a pit this morning, in the pit, the darkest dungeon of your life. Maybe you're just hanging on by a thread. You've got that difficult relationship or that temptation to sin. You want to go back to your old life or you've got that health challenge. Pray to the God who hears and ask him for mercy. The Holy Spirit is motivating David to ask for mercy. It's a spiritual thing to do. And by doing that, you're worshiping. You're worshiping him. Saying, God, I think you might be merciful. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to ask you to help. So we worship the Lord who hears by praying to him. We pray for mercy, but that's not, not all we need to pray for. We should pray for justice. Pray for justice. That's the other way we pray for the Lord here in the psalm. You pray for justice. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work, and according to their evil of their deeds, give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward." Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says this, Nothing stings so sharply as injustice, and nothing should. Nothing stings so sharply as injustice, and nothing should. So we have these philosophical theories about education and government, and it's all fun and games when we're sitting in the safety of a classroom or the local pub. But then injustice comes, and we feel it. We feel it. It stings. And so when we pray Jesus' prayer, deliver us from evil, the stakes are really, really high. They're really high. It's praying, it seems, according to Psalm 28, praying for a day of judgment. It's praying for a day of judgment. If, if evil really exists, and all injustice is evil, then there better be a day of reckoning where things are made right. And so deep in our hearts, we feel this need for there to be a day of judgment and to pray for justice in all evil is a form of injustice. Verse 4 tells us that it's people not getting their due reward. Their due reward, that's what almost everybody throughout history has defined justice as, is people not getting, or people getting their due. And what we see is they need to get their due reward according to God's holy and good character. 
And look at the greatest injustice of all here. It's in verse 5. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. The reason why there's no due reward is because people are not glorifying God. They're not giving him the credit he deserves. He's the one who's done and made everything. He's the one who keeps lungs breathing, hearts beating, and we'd rather just disregard him. He goes disregarded, ignored, rejected, hated. And David's fear in verse 3 is that when the Lord does bring justice on the evil, that maybe, maybe perhaps, David will be swept off with them. But we'll see that he doesn't need to be afraid of that in this moment. But what's our application here? When you're praying for justice and mercy, it is a form of worship. And the reason why is when you're praying to the Lord who hears, you're acknowledging he's able to do something. He's capable of doing something, that he's alive, that he's wonderful. He has these attributes of mercy and justice, that he's actually better than the people around us. You're exalting him. You're showing he's better than all challengers. So this means that we should help one another as a church. When people are struggling and having a hard time and they need mercy in some form or another, let's not just moan with them. There's a place to groan and be sad. But let's also pray. Let's help them pray. Let's believe that God hears. Let's believe that God cares. And children, children, some of you actually end up being victims of injustice regularly because your parents are very imperfect. And you did the right thing that time, but mom and dad didn't see it. And you actually didn't do the wrong thing, but you're getting blamed for it. You have very imperfect parents. They probably love you. But there's, the response is not to get bitter. The response is not to argue. The response is to pray for justice. Forgive your parents. Love them. And those of us who are aging, when you go to the doctor's appointment and the doctor says, you know, actually, these aches and pains, they're not really going to get better. They're probably just going to get worse. You know? God says you can still pray for mercy. You can pray for mercy. Keep praying. By doing so, you're still showing that God cares, that God is good, that you're worshiping him. And all of us, when we've been wronged and seen, see wrongs around us, we should be more uh, conformed to the image of God, seeking justice, praying that justice would be coming. So hopes and prayers, as much as they might be criticized, by people on the political left, thoughts and prayers, they actually are meaningful. Should do probably a little bit more than that. But prayer is meaningful. It's an act of worship, and it's an act that's helpful. So let's worship this Lord who hears, who hears prayers. That means praying to him. Now there's a second way we worship the Lord who hears, by praising him, by praising him. Now, if God is good, and glorious, and he hears, the most obvious way we worship him is by letting him know that he's good and hears. 
we humble ourselves and are honest. And we see in this text a, a few reasons. We'll look at three reasons to praise him. Three reasons to praise him. The first one is somewhat obvious. We praise him because he hears. We praise him because he hears. Look at verse 6 with me. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Those, pr those prayers for mercy that David was praying back at the beginning, God heard them. And what's David's response? He's like, he heard. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. He heard. He hears. We serve a God who hears. Pleasure can't hear you. Power can't hear you. Money can't hear you. The gods of this world cannot hear you. It's something wonderful, something to marvel at, that the God who created the universe hears. He hears. He deserves to be praised for that. Let's praise him. Maybe you feel a little bit like you need a break today. You're praying for it, but you're not really catching it. Well, know this. God does hear you. He does hear you, and he cares. By praying, you're being faithful. So maybe things are actually going a little bit better than they feel like. God is at work in your heart. God is hearing. It's not all disaster. It doesn't feel like it. But praise the God because he hears. We worship the Lord by praising him because he hears, but how else can we praise him? We praise him by trusting with our hearts. So praise him by trusting with your hearts. You trust with your heart. And I'll show how that's a form of worship. Let's read verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. Wherever you are putting your trust is where you are putting your praise. Always. And here's why. You're saying to the one you trust, you are good. You are powerful. You are lovely. You are true. You can protect. You can help. That's what you're saying when you trust. And isn't that praise? Isn't that praising one? So it's here where our gospel-centeredness as a church can't help but come out. We want mercy and we want justice, but here's the problem. We look in this text and we realize that the wicked can be swept away. And if we're honest, we haven't acknowledged the Lord perfectly. We haven't always given him the credit for what he's done. We haven't given him the due reward. So we could be swept away. So our prayers for justice might mean our punishment. So we need mercy. We need mercy. Even the best things we've done, we think back and we think, I could have actually done that even better. I haven't regarded God perfectly. And so we pray that sins really would be punished. But here's the good news. Mercy and justice for Christians meet in the same place at the cross of Jesus Christ. All the prayers for justice, for the evil to be, to be punished, are punished for Christians at the cross. Justice is satisfied. 
justice is pleased. God is pleased and then can keep his justice and give you mercy. Because justice has been satisfied, God says, I can be merciful to you. I can be patient with you. You don't need to be swept away to hell forever. Believe. Believe. And Jesus not only died on the cross, but he rose from the dead. There's resurrection power showing that justice really is satisfied. There's no debt left to be paid. And Jesus can extend mercy from his own hands. But how do we get those benefits? So Jesus did this thing 2,000 years ago. You're thinking, well, okay, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. That's kind of cool. Maybe there's this so maybe this preacher's got something going on with mercy and justice. The question is, though, what does that have to do with me? How do we benefit? How do we get mercy? We get it by trusting. We get it by trusting. Not by knowing these things just in our heads. Not by just agreeing they're true. Not by voting a certain way. Not by having an easy life. Not by getting good grades. We get it by trusting with our hearts, by saying, yes, Jesus, you are true, you are strong, you are powerful, you can help, you are lovely, and you know what? I'm counting on you to be those things, so I'm planting my flag with you, with you, and I'm not going to go anywhere else. I'm not going to look to other things. I'm going to trust in you, and the Holy Spirit when you believe that, is always the underlying cause of that. He's always at work in you, causing you to believe that. So if you don't believe that this morning, ask the Holy Spirit to change you. You can be sure that if you believe that Jesus paid the punishment for your sin. So do we really see, though, that trusting with our hearts is really the, the supreme act of worship? It's the supreme act of worship toward the Lord who hears. Because just by trusting, we're saying all these wonderful things about God. We're saying he's more valuable than everything else. That he will make us the happiest. And if we don't say that, shouldn't we expect judgment? But here's the good news that this psalm is telling us. If you cry out for mercy in this way, and the whole Bible is full of these promises, if you cry out for mercy in this way, the Lord will hear, and he will rescue. He will. Done. And then we'll all be shouting with verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now some of you have prayed for things and it seems like God has not heard you. You've prayed for a spouse, but you just have to reach down. You don't even have to look down anymore. There's no ring on your finger. You had that house built, and you had that room set away for that child, but the years went by, and the doctor's appointments didn't help, and now it's, you call it a den, or you call it an office, or you just use it for storage. Or you have that medical problem, and all the people around you, they, they've gone and seen this guy, and it, it's been fixed, but for you, no. 
You wanted a better job. Didn't come. You want that restored relationship, but when you get out your phone and you look at the last time you spoke, it's been a couple years. I don't know why God doesn't answer every prayer for mercy. I don't know why. Ultimately, I can answer theologically and say it's ultimately for God's glory, and I can have a clear conscience saying this, but ultimately there are some prayers that seems like God hears and says no. But this prayer, this prayer for mercy, for salvation, you can be sure that God will hear that and answer that, and here's why. Before Jesus went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, is there another way, Father? Is there another way for people to be saved and you to be glorified than the cross? And God, the Father, basically answered, no. You will have to endure this suffering. You will have to endure the wrath of God. So Jesus can relate to you. Jesus knows what it's like. Furthermore, and this is the better, even better news, Jesus went to the cross and Jesus is our substitute. So by God saying no to Jesus there, we can be confident that he's saying yes to us when we're praying for mercy regarding our salvation. He was our substitute, so we get the good. We get what he deserves, the yes answer. And that's like David here. When we pray for mercy for our souls, God says, yes, in Jesus. What sort of love is that? It's amazing. So we worship this God who hears by praising him. We praise him by recognizing that he actually does hear, and we praise him by trusting with our hearts. And then lastly, as far as the praise category goes, we praise him by singing with our hearts. We praise him by singing with our hearts. Look at verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield, in him my heart trusts, and I am helped. Now this last phrase is, my heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. In the history of the world, how many songs have been written because people loved someone? Could you count them? Love and joy seem to flow out of every instrument and every musical note. They've all been used to sing about love, to praise the lovely one. And if God hears and is merciful and loves us and brings justice, how can we not sing? How can we not sing about that? Off tune, perhaps, with the wrong tempo, often, forgetting the words, yes, but we sing, and we sing from the heart. We don't sing lies. We're not trying to earn righteousness by singing enough lyrics, therefore God accepts us. No, we recognize God is at work in us. He's doing something strange in our hearts, changing us, and so we sing. He stirs us up. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And you guys as a church are really good at this. I was gone for five weeks, visited other churches. You sing very well. And I think 
My confidence is it's because the Lord is at work in your hearts. And that's, he deserves the glory for that. So keep singing. Last month, Allie, my wife, and I went to a concert in Sandpoint, one of my favorite 90s bands, Better Than Ezra. Um, Better Than Ezra is not a Christian band, so don't go say Pastor Brett told me to listen to these guys. Um, we waited in the hot heat for two hours. I paid extra for early entrance, but we still waited in line for two hours to get in. And we get in, and we get there, and we got pretty good seats. 4,000 people, 3,998 people came in around us, and the concert started, and I thought, like, wow, this guy's voice has held up. He's a way better guitar player than I really imagined, and he's funny. Like, this is, it was a good show. But here's the thing. If, they, if the festival at Sandpoint would have said, you know, like, hey, here's what we want. We know people like to sing along with Better Than Ezra songs, as I did. If they would have said, here's the thing, we want 4,000 people to come and sing Better Than Ezra karaoke. All sing together. I wouldn't have come. We want to hear the experts sing this song. But see, that's the opposite of the way church is meant to work. No matter how bad, and they're not bad, by the way, the band might be up here. What matters is what's going on out here, singing from the heart. We can be succeeding in that way. If you're not a Christian or a new Christian and you answer, when you think about it, it's honestly kind of strange. Where else do you go where people just sing? They just sing. Why is it so strange? Because something strange is happening inside of us. People who used to not love now love. People who used to be joyless now have joy. People who didn't have meaning now have meaning. And we sing. And here's the amazing thing. God loves it. He likes it. He's pleased by it. He enjoys it. God is a fan of our singing from the heart. He receives it. So we worship God by praising him. Now, we see that we want to worship the Lord who hears. He hears our praises. He hears our prayers. And now there's one other way we worship the Lord who hears, by joining his people, by joining his people. We're seeing that we should be a praying people, a, a singing people, a praising people. What else do we learn about these people here, though? What do we learn about these people? They are people who are saved. They are people who are saved. Read verse 8 with me. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Now that word anointed there is the word Messiah. So Jesus is the ultimate Messiah, but that word was used about anointed kings beforehand. And so goes the king. As the king goes, so goes the people. So if the king is being saved, the people are being saved. And we have a Messiah. And guess what? He's passed through death and defeated it. And we're his people, so we go with him. We're saved. We're a saved people. He's not just the strength we see here in verse 7 or verse 8 of one man, David. He's the strength of a whole people. A whole people crying out. 
He's their saving refuge too. So if you're one of God's people who have turned away from your sin and trusted in Jesus, you're trying to put an end to the old way of life and relying purely on Jesus and his righteousness, you're being saved. You're saved from the power of sin now. The Holy Spirit's been given to you. You've been saved from the penalty of sin because Jesus paid our penalty. And you will be fully saved from the presence of sin in the new creation someday. So worship the Lord who hears by joining his people. They're a saved people. We see that we're saved. And then lastly, we see that these are a people who are shepherded. We're a people who are shepherded. So we should join them. We have a shepherd. Let's read verse 9. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. So we have, we think about shepherds and we also know that sometimes people are bad shepherds. Maybe they're a shepherd and they don't really like the sheep and they don't care if a wolf eats a sheep or not. But in here, what we hear is that the shepherd views his people as a heritage. That seems very Christian-y, heritage. What does that mean? It means it's like an inheritance. It's God's, we, we are, and this is mind-boggling, we are not God, we can't exalt ourselves, God does not praise us more than he praises himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we are this cared-for, treasured inheritance that he would never part with. He would never part with. And I'll get, come back to that in a moment, but notice this idea of joining the people. The shepherd wants to carry them forever, but picture this. You're standing up in front here at the end of the service, and someone walks up to you and says, you know what, we've been talking, and we think you should run for the President of the United States. And you look at this person, you kind of look over their shoulder, and there's nobody else standing there, and you're saying, well, who's, who's we? Who's this we? The sentence doesn't make any sense in the context of this conversation. This individual is talking like he's one of many, but he's just one person. And yet, that's how many Christians live. She's one person. She has been saved by Jesus. She's rejoicing in that. She loves to pray. She loves to sing. She loves the Psalms. She even loves to sing the Psalms. But, my, but she doesn't like God's people, doesn't want to join with them. Now, my question is, can you sing the psalms, pray the psalms as an individual and be telling the truth and be honest? The psalms are full of all this we and us language. So I don't think you can actually be fully worshiping the Lord unless you're joining to his people. It'd be dishonest. And this is why I think that Christians, if they're really going to grow through their obedience, must become members of a local church. Not just show up on a Sunday when they feel like it, not do what they want, not do their own thing all the time. You do need to do your own thing with God, but not all the time. Now, you don't need to be a member here. There's all kinds of churches you can join. But you should unite to a people. This is an act of worship itself. 
It's an act of worship by joining to the people. Because here's why. God says those people there, those Christians, they're my heritage. They're my inheritance. They're what I value. I love them. I'm committed to them. I'm going to shepherd them forever. And you say, no, not valuable. You're wrong. You don't get it, God. You don't see things the way I do. They're sinners. They can be hypocrites. But God, in this context, seems to say, no, they're my heritage. Be one of them. Be one of them. And think about the security that comes when you are joined to God's people. You become an important part of God's heritage. This means you're united to Christ, linked to him forever. You inherit, in a very real sense, the Bible says, something of what he inherits, the whole world. And he'll never want to leave you. In the last few weeks with the fires going on, I talked to a few different people who had to evacuate very quickly. And I learned a couple things that was common across all these people, and none of them know each other. And this is like, so what happened when you were evacuating? And all of them said, I don't understand why I grabbed what I grabbed. I don't understand why I took these things. I left like these pictures, like I forgot my husband's work boots and he's, he's supposed to work tomorrow. Like, I don't know why I grabbed this trinket. It's pointless. But if there is a fire, here's the thing. If we're God's heritage, God says if there's a fire and you're in it, theoretically, he's the fir- you're the first thing God's coming back for. He's not forgetting you. You're his heritage. He's coming for you. He's going to protect you. So you should, be, you should join a local church. That's going to be one of the best proofs you're part of his universal church, his heritage. Now when we think about God hearing. I've heard so many stories personally of people who have said, I was abused and assaulted these horrible ways. Nobody heard me. Nobody believed me. Heard stories of people in offices said, this boss is a criminal. He's, he's embezzling from the company. Nobody listened. Nobody hears. I've heard of people talk about politicians who say, he, he says this to your face, folks, but behind closed doors, he's mocking you. He's demeaning you. And then someone hears. Then someone hears. It's like someone put the hearing aids finally in. They've been brought out of the corner. Somebody has listened. Somebody has heard. Something has changed. Somebody can help. And that's what we are promised here with the living God. He hears. He hears even when nobody else does. And so Psalm 28 is a powerful promise, not just to David and to God's people in the Old Testament, but to us. Because Jesus Christ has come and secured us and made us part of his people. He hears us. He hears us. He hears you. He's listening. You can worship him, and he'll be pleased. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. Lord, 
We're thankful that you are God worthy to be praised and worthy to be worshipped. So we, we ask that we would be a people who do that the right way by honoring you. And Lord, we pray for those of us who have been tempted to think God hasn't heard. We pray that we would be confident that you do. We pray that we would be confident that you know what's right. And we want to trust you. So help us to be a trusting, worshiping people. For Jesus' sake, amen.